questions or areas of interest or concern that may have arisen, please feel free to come and ask or speak about. This may be arising from your experiences here, areas of issues or concern that you may have, uh, that which you've uh, listened to from talks, groups, one-to-ones, etc. Intention behind is for insight and understanding for each and every person. Please remember the fullness of listening so that there is that receptivity both simultaneously, both outwardly and inwardly uh, as we listen. At any time, the person or myself can say thank you to bring an inquiry to a close, a couple of shared minutes of silence together, and I'll invite another person may wish to come to speak. With the inquiry time uh, as well, sometimes it's just questions and answers to myself or dialogue, and it may last a few minutes or longer. With the the recording of it, I'll check with you when you uh, come up. And if uh, it's okay with you, then it will be recorded and can be made available to anyone who wishes to listen. And if you prefer not, absolutely fine. And it will uh, stay unrecorded for you. The uh, invitation, of course, would be to those who haven't been up for an inquiry previously. So anyone who wishes to come, anything that you'd like to uh, touch upon, feel free to come. Yes. Do you want to clip on? And uh, with the recording? mentioned a couple of, of uh, points of... Can you hear in the... Is the... Um, press down at the top. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah. Of uh, what life isn't about. That mm-hmm. it's not about getting what you want mm-hmm. and it's not about doing something good for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you'd talk a little bit more about what life is about. I've been talking about it every day. So sometimes one has the voice of concern, and in this world of uh, ego, I, me, my, all the consequences of it upon our own uh, being, upon the being of others, upon life itself. And that has to be addressed and uh, looked at. It's rather vital, if not uh, urgent, there. And then at other times, I have uh, spoken on a daily basis about what life is about. Have you heard any of it? Well, I get... Where I get bogged down is between the relative, Mm -hmm. like the daily life kind of meaning, and ultimate reality. All right. Which, yes, I I definitely 
been hearing a lot about that and thought, uh, think of a lot about that. Good. good and, um, but what about, you know, getting off the wheel of samsara? Um, what about all the, you know, the people who are just living to make it through the day and they never hear about samsara? Is there no meaning for them? Or This is where I get bogged down. Um, it's understandable and terribly easy to go from uh, the immediacy of things, life, life around, life, life here, and then turn the attention with uh, care and concern to those who are terribly deprived, those who are living in a rather tortuous circumstances of being driven from one thing to another just to get together food, clothing, shelter and medicine, just to make ends meet. And uh, we know that uh, in, the, in this country, what is it, one in five people are living in desperate conditions. And, and as well as far worse conditions uh, elsewhere, do you really see any relationship between what we are doing here, engaged in here, and the, and the people in the world of whom it, the great majority are truly in li- living in desperate circumstances? Here, because here you're, you're in more in, in the most privileged <laughs> corner uh, of, the, of, of the planet. And the, the planet can't tolerate this lifestyle around here. You see, it, it, it can't uphold it. It would take, um, what, five or six planets if everybody lived like we have the privilege, privilege of living here at the present time. So what's the relationship between sitting on the cushion and those who are economically deprived? Well, the, the world could certainly use uh, a little lift in general consciousness. Little? <laughs> sounds like a typical British understatement. Well, I, I tend to be a bit Brit that way. All right, okay. What, 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 how are we going to look at, look at the world around us when we see it? The circumstances. Why do we keep turning a blind eye to it and think about the next refrigerator we want to buy? Or the next car or... Well, the because it's big very widescreen TV or whatever. It's very painful and very scary. Is it? What, buying a television? <laughs> no, I mean looking at ah. looking at the mm. poverty. Mm. So we look out there and we see what this world is. We look at our newspapers and CNN or whatever the medium is. And then we somehow we turn away from that. We don't want to look at that. We don't want to feel any compassion for people. We prefer to um, boost our own lifestyle. What's, what's going to make a change for us? Please tell us. Well, as you're asking that question, I'm, I'm kind of feeling one of the, one of the core mm-hmm. things that brought me up here, which is that the past couple of years, I've been having a lot of fear come up, mm, yes, ever okay. since the 2004 election. And I, I don't, you know, it's about 
seeing everything a different way for me. Mm-hmm. And there's personal stuff in there too, but um, I'm I'm seeing your point. You know that that somehow that touched me mm. and makes me feel more in contact with mm. it, it, the got, chaos that's out there. Yes, it, we, we have to stop being afraid because um, consumerism is is, is 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 built up on fear. It's the ideology of fear, fear of death, mostly. And and then we turn me, we start to experience something. Sometimes fear, of contact, closeness, fear of uh, uh, exploration, of, of questioning, of uh, looking into things in another in another fresh way. And and that's going to really challenge us because it's going to mean a, a very dramatic way. A dramatic difference in the way we look at life and what's the priority. And then some people know this well by their lifestyle already. And there's some wonderful commitments in this hall here from people who live in this area. Anything that you, you can do to free yourself from fear and its shadows? What, what are you doing at the moment, dare I ask? What am I doing yeah, in yeah. life? How, how, how do you spend your daily life? <laughs> I'm a psychotherapist. Psychotherapist. What, what do you, with your clients, what kind of issues do you address with them? I work with anxiety disorders. Anxiety disorders. I work mm. with fear. Mm, you work with it. <laughs> <laughs> do you get the chance to um, question the relationship of anxiety to possession? Mm. Because they go together. Sometimes. That, that's a very interesting thought. See, people want to have everything and not have anxiety. This is, this is a terrible that's right. delusion. That's right. Yeah. Mostly they just don't want to have any anxiety. Yeah, and no, it's, it's, it's a daft like trying to want trees without wood. People if a questioned and explored like yourself and others people are willing to touch the nerve ends and anxiety is uh, as we know it's like an epidemic and the rich have it as chronically as the poor and it is related to ownership and possession and having and wanting and striving never feeling any depth of real contentment with life. So what do you say to your good clients? They come to see you, you're a psychotherapist, you're working with fears and anxieties. What, what, what do you tell them? What's your wisdom? What's my wisdom? Yeah. Do you give them advice? Oh, well, yes. I mean, good. It's a job direction. of Direction. All right. What kind of direction would you give, if I may ask? Well, a lot of times it's to do what they fear. What they fear. Right. Sometimes, in this area of uh, exploration, some people will come and talk to their therapists, and they will talk quite a long time. I mean, over quite weeks and months. Do you think talking about is an indication of a willingness for transformation?
Not always, no. No, of course not. In fact, rarely. Exactly. So how are you going to dig deep enough to really check out if your clients really are utterly committed to as quick a transformation as qu uh, in the immediacy of things? How are you going to fi find out? Because they could be talking well, to you and they leave feel a bit comfortable and they come back next week and they feel a bit comfortable. Well, that's usually pretty readily apparent. Oh, good. Very good. And but, you, I mean, the, one of the other areas is working with what-ifs quite a lot. What if? What-ifs. Nightmare. Mm. What if? What if? Yeah. So anxiety hangs on that which is not immediate, really, doesn't it? Right. It's a strange movement of the feelings and the, and the, the thoughts. So go back for a moment or two. You said a couple of years some fears came up after the election. Yeah, like wake me up in the night. What happened to the fears? This was, I, I presume, the election of your president and the other three, the gang of four. The gang of four. Mm -hmm. um, what, was, what was your question? What happened? So sometimes you think, oh my God, what is happening to our country? No, it's more, it's more like just a feeling of dread. Dread? Yeah, mm -hmm. and to me it's sort of like this reorientation is um, that that I went through. Mm -hmm. um, what I what I had confidence in as meaningful mm -hmm. that seemed to shift. Yes. In mm -hmm. these in these uh, things, because I don't think, obviously no simple answer uh, to that. But the culture is terribly terribly individualistic in the condition of the self there. And going back a little bit to yesterday of Sangang Saranang Chami, I think when the self looks at a situation, who's ever it is for us, we will feel terribly small in the politics of scale of what seems so big. My situation and the poverty my situation, the people have much less. My situation and what our, and the obscenities of our government in our name, yeah, etc. Do you have an opportunity and uh, time to meet with those people, groups of people, sometimes small groups of people, who are actively working uh, together, politically, socially, economically, environmentally, globally, in some area? Yes, I belong to one. What, what's the one that you belong to? Therapist for Social Responsibility. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. Because through such networks and organizations, then we also get some nourishment and there's some empowerment which can come out of it because of this uh, linking and uh, connecting. I don't think dread, fear, anger about whatever actually helps anybody I think we have yeah. to come out of come out of that and that's one of the tasks of a good therapist is to get people out of that situation but also out of what, all that goes with it including the, the story the desire to own and possess 
all of, all of that goes with all of that. And it's a great uh, step. And sometimes we have to lean on each other a little bit with regard to this as well. Any, uh, anything valuable coming out of the retreat for you? Yes, very much. It's yes? bringing up all of this that kind of helps me get reoriented. Yeah, yeah. And then one of the functions of a retreat is hopefully to make a real contribution to being reorientated. And that may require from us the, one of the great questions of life, what really matters? And being unwaveringly committed to it. Unwaveringly so. Good. Okay. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. of quiet minutes. My bones are jangling. The bones are jangling. Nice. I have a story that I need to tell to preface my question. That yeah, yeah, I please take your time. time. Brief as possible. No, no, take your time. I had a sister um, who was a tremendously huge part of my early life. Mm. And uh, she was a just lovely, lovely person, um, artist and dancer. Mm-hmm. And when she was in her young 20s and I was about nine years old, she was uh, raped and killed by a man that she had never encountered before. And that was about 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, of course... Her influence and her death have been a tremendous part of my life since then. Mm. And I, part of the detail, I think an important detail of the story is that this man was caught and originally uh, he was tried and originally given the death penalty, which was committed to a life sentence some years later. Yep. Um, And before I learned to meditate last year, Mm -hmm. 
I always believed that he should die, believed mm. that, that the death penalty should not have been commuted. Mm. And after I learned to meditate last year, at some point I realized, oh, I don't believe in the death penalty anymore. I don't believe that. Mm. It was sort of astonishing. Mm. And then one day I was, I think I was reading about forgiveness, which in your, your talk last night uh, on equanimity, um, you mentioned that forgiveness is a Christian ideology. Mm. And, and I, th- I think that's fascinating. Uh, in Western Dharma writings, it's often mentioned along with equanimity. Mm-hmm. And this little, tiny little tap, tap, tap at, at my door said, you must forgive this man. Well, well. And I, I, uh, I sat with that for a little while and didn't think about it and didn't think about it. And about a month later, or at some point last year, I, I just too messy, too hard too scary mm-hmm. and I didn't really think about it again until mm-hmm. t- two days ago in the last inquiry session and it <laughs> that is knocking mm-hmm. well and mm. I'm terrified that you'll open the door and my question is, it's not, this isn't something that I'm forcing myself no. to do. It's not something I want to do. No. It's simply a knowing that I must do it. And that's what I want to know. That's what I want to ask about is, how do I trust this? Or how do I, what do I do with it? Where do I start? Boy. Strong beat. Um, if we can just take back a step in time and then just follow where and when were you sitting in the retreat and you found a shift taking place inside of yourself and the shift was from believer and a supporter in the death penalty for uh, this particular individual, rapist, murderer. What happened then that it made some shift for you and you said to yourself, I can't support this view I have? What was going on? What were the circumstances? Where and when? Well, there, there were lots of experiences like that with this, it, it, the retreat was here. It was last spring, mm-hmm. so it was about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of things like that where, afterwards, I would be thinking about something and then realize I don't believe that anymore. I don't mm, think that yeah. way anymore. And right. it wasn't. It was. It wasn't that I had to agonize through no. a change right. of heart. I, it just. Oh, mm-hmm. this is different. I. I I, 
you know, it's always hard to explain to your friends what you're doing here. And one of the ways that I was... Hard to explain to oneself. (laughs) (laughs) One metaphor that helped me was every... I looked down on the console and and every dial had a different readout than it did before. Mm. So... So this was simply a realization. It wasn't. No. It wasn't a something I I, I had to think through no. step by step. All right. Good. And there were lots of little things like that. That of was course. a big thing. Yeah. So just in the process, and that's certainly a major function of uh, meditation. It does allow, quite naturally and organically, shifts away, and the view, the construct of the view, held to, supported in the past, begins to collapse and dissolve. And the outcome of that is that looking at the same situation, looking at it somewhat differently. And the outcome uh, of that is, of course, then you begin to open up other doors deeper down as well. So what was happening, you said, at the end of the last inquiry... And then knocking on the door. What was, what was, was that about? It was. Uh, the discussion about fear inside of us. Mm. And. Feelings of. Of vengefulness that fear can bring up yes. not necessarily that that's what was but mm-hmm. that's that that was one yes. of the things that was aired and i think that's when mm. i went oh yeah that right so let me just see to follow the process a little bit there is some communication uh, contact going on in case of inquiry the listening is uh, taking place, the fullness of the listening. Area of fears, being afraid, which when we can't handle them, it does easily lead to vengeance, to uh, blame, and it will land somewhere, of course, with the uh, tragedy of uh, events when you were young, to your sister there. It will go there, but at other times, in other ways, it will go elsewhere. The same movement, but landing on different people or or persons, and including oneself as well. So so there's some knocking on the door, and then somewhat... um, out of the circumstances, out of the field of the inner inner life, this word forgiveness has suddenly emerged for you. This is another whole ballpark altogether, isn't it? What's all that about? It's one thing I, to say, I don't want this person executed. Something else you have to listen to as well. Say more about this. I mean, you did a rather ha- heavy bang. You didn't hurt your knuckles. Forget my views about Christianity. It had never, no, 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 no. It it had never occurred to me. uh, 
I, I, I just simply didn't know that it was not in the, the, the discourses of the Buddha that mentioned that there was no mention no, of forgiveness. No, no, as a direct and word. So the, mm. the impulse or the, the thought that I had when I was reflecting on your talk last night was, well, gosh, what is forgiveness then? Ah, nice. And, and just uh, to take a little backward step. Just, just, yeah. Neither does Jesus, executed by the Romans, hanging on the cross, neither does Jesus say, I forgive you. He says, Abba, which means in Aramaic, the foundation of all things. He says, Abba, Father. That's the metaphor. That which is greater than myself, Abba. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Didn't ask himself to forgive. Forgive them. He didn't ask. Had more wisdom than that. So, anyway, carry on. Just a slight aside. Forgiveness comes, can start to move through. Say more. What is the meaning? What is forgiveness? It has something to do with love and equanimity, sitting right. with love and equanimity. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh. It has something deeply, it's true, deeply. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you're holding your breath a little bit sitting here, but why not? Something to do with love and uh, equanimity. Go on, say some more. Just sitting with that and simply communicating that to this man. Mm. Mm. How's the feeling at the moment when this... Did you go to the trial? No, 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 I was too young. Of course you were too young. Do you have any knowledge of this man? One thing, yes. What, What do you know about this man? This was something that came to me today when I was thinking about this, is that when my mother came back from the trial question that I had was, was what did he look like? I'm sure. Mm. What did he look like? And in my third grade class, there was a boy who was um, a little slower than the rest, and he had a wonderful heart, and he's the only one that, that asked me some specific questions about it. They all knew. They, yes. And he said, what color of hair did he have? And I just think that's so interesting that as little kids, we, we wondered that, that this boy who had nothing yes. to do with it, and that yeah. I wondered what he yeah. looked like. Mm. And I still don't really know. No. <laughs> so there is the horror of the event, the loss of your uh, sister, some change, some uh, shift in terms of capital punishment. Then further changes are going on. Things are still strongly moving within you there. 
and in that movement, forgiveness has uh, begun to uh, express its voice. Anything intimating why that's come about? To do with love and equanimity, something's touching you strongly in, in these two areas. My sister is no longer with us, but this man is. Mm. is. Mm. And? And you are the bridge between the two. I never thought about it like that. I think one of the many, many causes is, as almost all of the voices that I've heard over mm-hmm. the course of the week, is to some degree a response to the world mm. as it is, as it is, as as it seems to be becoming. As. Mm. And it seems increasingly difficult to reconcile a spiritual life with various trends in the world, and especially in our country. And I suppose this is a place where I can where I can act. Yes. The nightmare of blame and punishment. Blame to inflict suffering so different from accountability. What would be the most, at this point, the most bold step that you could take with regard to this man in prison? One thing I've been wondering about is private versus public. And if I could just walk into that prison 
invisibly and just simply sit down with him and walk out and come back. And, but no one would know except him and me. That would be one thing. Right. That would be the... But that's not... I don't think no. it can work that way. No, right? <laughs> Any alternative? And I... Part of this thought, part of this knowing is, 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 is meeting with him face to face. It's not writing a letter or volunteering here in San Quentin or it's, that's, that's seems to be the, the core of it. Yes. And I have many fears, uh, starting with my own deep wells of emotion, starting with, uh, uh, will this upset people mm. who who are in different circumstances but but see their own story in these circumstances? Yes. Will this upset my family? Will this upset people who are her family, mm. my sister's family, but are not really my family? Yes, yes. Classic American fragmented family. Yes, yes. Will uh, how do I get there? How do I approach it? Who do I ask? Mm. How do I start? What will he do? What will he think? What will happen? Exactly. So, in taking the steps and the risks, as you point out, we can have waves of impact inwardly and outwardly. Mm. Be moving out of the old position of 20 years. Are you going to take the risk? Oh, yes. Good man. Mm. Touching. Touching. Why the hesitation to write the letter to check whether this uh, rapist, murderer, wants to see you. When I said I didn't want to write a letter, I didn't want to merely write a letter. No. Could the step from writing the letter include in it the wish to meet and what's happening for you as well in putting it as clearly and as skillfully as possible. He may need to meet you as much as you need to meet him. Can you weather any reactivity from family members? Would you do it? Would you do it privately? Not speak to them. Y- yes, I can. The family members that I'm 
that are part of my family, yeah. I can weather that. Yeah. And they can too. Mm. Mm. Much uh, appreciation for myself, and I'm sure all of us. Having to confront terribly uh, painful ghost of the past here. Going to areas where, as they say, angels fear to tread. My mother has always told me that I've never properly grieved. Mm. And I believe that mm. for many years. Mm. And I don't know if I believe that anymore because I don't know if there's such a thing as a proper mm. way to grieve. But mm. this this could be addressing that this could be a mm. s- slightly different issue I'm, yes. I'm not clear no and that you'll only find out through the steps that you take through what you write through any response if any that may or may not come and through if there is a meeting, who knows what the response, reactions of that man could be. It's, uh, but the heart, your heart's in the right place. It's going to take a lot of uh, love and equanimity, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And keep in touch. Uh, know what follows on from all of this. Let's have a couple of minutes to uh, together to end.
there are certain uh, parallels with the two inquiries today. It uh, often happens quite naturally in the, uh, your, the way of things. That as we dig deeper into ourselves, we find quite naturally we are going deeper into the world as it is. And sometimes that is in terms of uh, the general. We look at what affects our life, the fears which uh, block us, hold us up, prevent us from uh, uh, responding. And when we're enclosed in any kind of fears, the, the self, not realizing it, is hidden amongst them. Because of the dissatisfaction which goes with fears and with worries and anxieties, nor the unpleasant painfulness of it, of course, then we want to escape into it. So our, uh, the only escape we know is into the field of pleasure. And so our life finds itself terribly easy, moving back and forward between the two, neither of which ever could be really fulfilling. And at times, of course, naturally and beautifully, despite those uh, formations in ourselves, we do touch naturally deeper places inside of us. The place of love, the place of uh, equanimity. And that very place, touch, as we go deeper into that, will naturally bring out questions. It has to. It brings out our concerns. We listened to two important ones just now. It brings out ways of living in this world in which fear and anxiety and trying to overcome it by wanting and getting that, that frame, that uh, way of living begins to take second place and we can begin to sense life in some other, other way. And that's the power of the love, the power of the kindness, the power of forgiveness, the power of equanimity there. When I was uh, listening just at the end there, I was immediately reminded of a rather somewhat little similar story. And I, uh, in Israel, a dear Dharma friend named Yuli, in the um, early part of the 1980s, was working as a flight attendant for El Al, the Israeli airline. They were on the coach in London from the airport to the hotel, and an uh, Arab terrorist bombed the bus. The person who was with uh, uh, Yuli sitting beside her, another flight attendant, was killed, another was very badly wounded, as uh, she was. The man was caught and was given a life sentence. Years later, changing of work, changing of uh, profession, put placed Yuli in the occupied territories. The outcome of that, she began to wonder what had happened to this man who had a life sentence. She then got some information and went through a very, very similar process that you very touchingly shared with us today. And the outcome of that was she did write. And the outcome uh, uh, of that, that in the letter which she received from him, in the reply, he said, at that time, um, 
the, the 19-year-old who committed this uh, uh, murderous act of uh, terror on, on the other Albas is not the same person today. It's not the same person. And he expressed his regret and remorse. And this touched her, touched her deeply. And she went to visit him. And she genuinely felt within him that there was a real uh, change of heart. The correspondence continued. She made a documentary about this, the title of which is My Terrorist. The outcome of all of that was that she wrote to the lawyers and to the Home Office in Britain and made an appeal for his immediate release. There is no chance that this young man will be released because there is war and terror and he's an Iraqi. The documentary film shown in Israel and in some European countries and I have a copy at home and I've watched it is, 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 is beautifully touching because it does show and as we were listening to today in the most horrendous of circumstances that the human heart is extraordinarily capable of a tremendous shift from a view which has stood for 20 years, whether it's Yuli or whether yourself or whatever. And some shift can take place. And in that uh, shift that can take place, other steps can be taken out of the blame, out of the vindictiveness, out of the desire for revenge. All of that starts to go out. And then there's some possibility. And it calls on us, these situations, to keep digging deeply. Because out of it will come and emerge what is noble in us. Thank you very much. Thank you, the two of you who spoke today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.